Y Group invites all AEC industry leaders to the 2024 AEC Small Business and Entrepreneurship Forum, the premier event for small firms in the AEC sector. Experience innovative strategies and insights on May 21st, crafted by Zweig Group's industry experts. Engage in keynotes and interactive sessions focused on recruitment, retention, and business growth. Join Zweig Group for this unique networking opportunity and take your business to new heights. Secure your spot today and be part of the AEC industry's future. Visit ZweigGroup.com for more information. The Zweig Group team looks forward to welcoming you. You're listening to a special edition Zweig Letter Podcast, putting architectural, engineering, planning, and environmental consulting guru, Mark Zweig, and his team of experts, Straight Talk, in your ear. Mark has more than 30 years of experience helping AEP and environmental firms thrive, and these podcasts deliver his invaluable management, industry, client, and HR advice directly to you, free of charge. The Zweig Letter and the Zweig Letter Podcasts let you develop professionally wherever you are. Hey, everyone, and thank you for joining Zweig Group Media and the Zweig Letter exclusive interview series. With almost 25 years of continuous coverage of the design industry, the Zweig Letter is a constant in an ever-changing marketplace. We are bringing you some of the best and brightest minds that our industry has to offer. Today, I'm pleased to welcome Chris Catton, who is a consultant in our executive search group here at Zweig Group. Chris, it is so great to have you join us on the Zweig Letter interview series. This is your first time, and I've been trying to twist your arm to come on uh, this podcast and on this video and have a conversation with me. And finally, uh, the audience gets to hear from the great Chris Catton in San Francisco. So, you know, why don't you tell the audience a little bit about what you do here at Zweig Group? And and, uh, we're so excited to have you. Hi, Randy. Thanks for having me. Uh, I lead executive search projects for architecture and engineering consulting firms. Okay. And uh, I run the San Francisco office, which is growing. Uh, We're now at two. And um, I conduct roundtable lunches um, that are speaking series for a local uh, management group. So I do some speaking and um, help my clients learn how to recruit. Okay, that's cool. Yeah, and we're going to talk a little bit about that uh, that uh, that organization. I believe it's ABLE, right? It's the Association of AE Business Leaders. That's right. Okay, cool. Yeah, we'll we'll talk about ABLE in a minute. So, so tell me, I mean, what what's a, what's a day like for for you out there in, in, in San Francisco? And and I and I might add for for those that are listening. Uh, or watching um, the, you know, Chris uh, was a, you know how like nowadays when you talk about tech firms, you might say, oh, so-and-so was number five at Facebook or number four at Google, but you were like number four or five at Zweig, right? When, when the original yeah, Mark Zweig Inc. Yeah, I think I was Inc. number eight. Yeah. I no- think I was eighth higher back in 1992. Wow. And that's yeah. just, that's actually the same year that the Zweig letter started. So that's why I always tell people that it's over 25 years because this is 2017. That was 1992. This Zweig letter has run 
uninterrupted since then. And so you, you kind of, you know, if nothing else, it kind of makes us old, I guess, in, in the minds of, <laughs> of everybody. Cause I started, you started in 92. I started my first go around at Zweig in 97. And then, um, I know you left for a while to start a family and, and, uh, now you've come back and, and, um, you've done some great things in, in between. And, uh, you've, you've been intimately familiar with the design industry for many years because you even, even before you worked at Zweig, you worked for an architecture firm. Isn't that right? I did. I worked for two architecture firms. Okay. Uh, the first firm I joined right out of school, they had a really cool program that I think has since flourished in various firms around San Francisco where they would hire non-technical people to uh, act as sort of as junior project managers. So okay. we would take care of um, you know, um, notes and minutes and scheduling and invoices and anything that helped keep the communication going with clients and between the team members. So I learned from the inside about the business of architecture. In fact, I was recruited away from the first firm that I joined um, to start that same program at the second firm um, wow. because they'd heard about it. And it, it was great because of a lot of times architects don't like the busy work of the project management, and it was something that they were able to hand off to someone who um, was less expensive. So from a financial standpoint on the projects, it was really um, valuable to the firm because the, the more expensive you know, uh, project managers who had a higher billing rate were not spending time on things that um, someone less expensive on the project could do. So okay. that, was a, it was a great way for me to springboard into recruiting because I knew exactly how the business worked from the inside. And I, I know now um, and knew then or learned then how projects work, how they come together, what, what sub-consultants do, uh, kind of who, you know, who runs the, the job, what architects think about, what they're motivated by. Um, it was a really good glance at the business as a whole. So it, it was a smart strategy actually on Mark Zweig's part to pursue people in a position like I was in, um, which is what happened. I think I got a call from Catherine Sprankle way back when, and, mm -hmm. and um, they specifically were seeking people that had uh, an inside scoop into the business uh, of an architecture or an engineering firm, and I just happened to work out. Wow. So it was, very, it was a smart strategy on their part because I was able to talk the talk when I when I get people on the phone, they know I understand their day and yeah. their business and their motivations. That's a big part of why I think uh, I'm good at recruiting is that I know that uh, that they know um, that I know them. Did that yeah. make sense? Yeah, no, it makes perfect sense. And you know, I'm glad you mentioned that because I think that level of training. I mean, that's something that I got when I first started. Um, you know, back in '97, and and. I'd like to think that I was trained properly in the art of recruiting, but especially in the art of recruiting in the design space, because there are a lot of nuances like you described in that you were intimately familiar with what the day looks like for an architect, um, possibly even for an engineer. And so with that understanding, it just it creates a, a, a much uh, it gives you a much bit greater talking points to have with people that you're recruiting and coming in contact with. And people actually feel like, wow, she actually knows what she's talking about. He knows what he's talking about because we understand the industry. And I think that's an important distinction that you don't always find, especially in the space of recruiting uh, and specifically in executive search, which again, this is not, this podcast is not a, a, a calling card for our recruiting services, but it is, a, it, it, it is a very important distinction and point to 
be made for anybody out there in the design space, knowing that, you know, when you hire someone to do recruiting and to represent your firm, you should get somebody that really understands your industry. If you don't, you do so at your own peril because, um, you know, you've got people out there all the time misrepresenting firms and opportunities. And, you know, sometimes, as you know, Chris, you only get one bite at the apple when you're talking to really talented people. And mm-hmm. you, you've got to kind of, as I like to say, come correct the first time. Yeah, that's true. That's definitely true. There's a lot to know about our industry. It's unique in a lot of ways. Yeah. So and that's the thing I've liked. And I mean, certainly Mark Zweig has uh, imparted his understanding and knowledge. And then we've got the benefit of, you know, all the great articles in the Zweig letter and all of the great ideas and information that have welled up in all of our publications over the years that, you know, have helped both you and I to be better at our jobs, as well as anybody that we've brought in. We've got a a fresh crop of younger people and newer folks. You've got a new team member and, you know, we're constantly training these guys to understand the industry as a whole and and, and what makes this industry so special. So um, that's pretty exciting. Why don't you tell me um, just a little bit about, you know, some of the conversations that you've uh, that you've had recently when you spoke at some of these ABLE events. And uh, I know that they have kind of like lunch and learn events uh, around the Bay Area. I know you've done one in San Francisco. I think you had to go somewhere up in the um, the inland going up towards Sacramento recently. And, and uh, I know that these are really, um, they're, they're really great times of teaching and, and kind of figuring out and learning what are the major pain points that firms are encountering, especially in the area of recruitment and retention. So I would love for you just to kind of talk about what your experience was like, what you talked about specifically, and then we can maybe go into some of the um, some of the feedback that you got from people in terms of what folks are seeing out there in the market, especially as it pertains to recruitment and retention. Uh, my first thought is, I mean, that, that, to explain that that uh, Able hosts luncheon roundtables for anyone who chooses to come, members and non-members. There's a paid difference, but these luncheon roundtables are hosted by various firms. So um, they're often either in San Francisco or in the Sacramento area or in Irvine, uh, in Orange County. So it'll be in the conference room of, of the hosting firm Um from within our industry and they serve lunch and then we sit around and talk for about it. I think they're an hour and a half um, and they're facilitated. So I have served as a facilitator, the value of these lunches or these, these um, events. And there are various events. Abel also does hosted all afternoon events that have panels of speakers that make specific presentations, but the luncheon roundtables, the value in those is to hear for everyone to hear from each other, how they're handling problems um, that they're facing. And then there's a topic. And so the facilitator helps to keep everybody on topic and kind of steer the conversation um, and maybe answer some questions. I mean, I, I can answer some questions about recruitment and there was some of that. And I had a, a presentation that led our conversation, but a lot of the value comes from them hearing from each other yeah. and me too, um, you know, what problems they're facing and how they're, how they're addressing them. And with regard to retention and recruitment, I found that retention was the biggest concern for everybody. Wow. Recruitment has been talked about now for as long as our economy has been back and healthy as a primary issue for people because everyone's trying to recruit the same key talent. And, um, you know, it's, it's sort of a, a recruitment war out there. So it's dependent upon 
uh, each firm to make themselves the attractive em- employer, basically. Mm-hmm. But there's also this this feeling of, well, once we've got them, how do we keep them? And so I found that to be almost more of a concern um, because it's really expensive and, and sad to lose good people. And so that to me was interesting because what I found to be the case was that people don't look at retention as something of a line item on a strategic plan. Right. It's almost like an afterthought. And so I brought up a retention plan and everyone looked at me like, what? What's a retention plan? Um, And I think it's just something that that needs to be taken seriously as a a line item on the strategic plan. And what that could entail is making, you know, managers and group leaders responsible for um, tracking their turnover rates, tracking their retention rates, checking in with their people um, when they lose people, you know, keeping those numbers and making people feel responsible as leaders and project managers for keeping people and really having it trickle down from leadership to um, the lowest level of, of management to, um, help people understand that retention has to be approached with a plan like everything else. Yeah. yeah. So that was, that was interesting to me that that was the biggest concern because a lot of it sometimes seems like common sense. And I think people get busy in their jobs and they forget about it. They forget about these basics. Like here's an example. Um, the manager calling to check in and say, how are you doing? How, are you happy? You know, how, how's the project work working out for you? Or what, what complaints do you have? And just doing a random casual check-in. Right. That, that makes people feel really heard. And just something like that can make people feel really loyal to their position because they're being checked in with on a, on a casual level. So that, that's just, I'm getting very specific, but that's just one example that the table we all went around and kind of, raised our eyebrows at how that doesn't seem difficult and it doesn't seem beyond common sense, but nobody really does it. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. So that's just one example. Yeah. Mark, Mark Zweig always talks about um, uh, management by walking around, you know, going around and talking to people. I mean, really talking to them and, you know, not, not having folks come to you when, when, you know, everything hits the fire, but, you know, just talking right. to people on a regular basis. So you're having real conversations that, you know, genuinely lead to admiration, respect, and also uh, being able to have problems, head problems off at the pass before they even happen. Right. The other thing is the missing generation. I think the most difficult position for people to fill right now is between five and 10 years experience because people, you know, and this has become a known problem, but everyone's talking about how do we, how do we address the fact that it's absolutely uh, beyond difficult to find them, let alone get them. Yeah. So there was a lot of conversation about that and people are resorting to signing bonuses. Um, there's what you've discussed before, the gig economy, where there's more use of um, temporary staffing for mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. typically for production level um, positions. Right. But people are getting having to get creative yeah. to fill these positions. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And I mean, it, it is it is a major problem right now. And, and so certainly... Um, it's an issue that has to be talked about. People have to come up with ideas and creative ways within their own organizations to to solve these problems. And, you know, you brought up a key distinction that, you know, and I, I've talked about KPIs or key performance indicators. And, you know, if you don't know what to track, 
you'll never be successful. And you've got to figure out what are those metrics that we have to keep track of. And, you know, we're in a time and a place now where, um, you know, we have so much information at our disposal, but we don't always use it properly. And, and I, I'm always encouraging firms, as I know you are, uh, to keep track of this information because it's, it's, it will, if, if we don't do it, uh, it can ultimately create a problem for the organization as a whole and for the overall health of how they're operating, especially when it comes to talent acquisition. That's exactly right. Um, I, my presentation, I have three sections primarily, and then I go into some other bits at the end. But they're planning, um, recruiting is planning, recruiting is selling, and recruiting is knowing. Okay. And the knowing part is about just that. It's about tracking metrics. It's about keeping in touch with them. It's about watching if something rises or falls and then actually reacting to it and doing something about it. Um, and, you know, recruitment plans need to have those metrics tracked however right. small the firm is yeah, you know, yeah a lot of people don't bother to do that so um it is sort of a crystal ball looking into you know the issues that you face and and what's worked and what hasn't right 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 yeah no i it, it's it's very important and, and you're right out Sorry, I want to add one thing because one thing I've noticed is that firms have gotten a lot more sophisticated at how they're doing this now um, because they've had to. And when they're when we go around this table at the luncheon, I've noticed um, a, an impressive jump in people's sophistication with regard to, to recruitment. Okay, um, because they've had to they've had to you know step it up to be better, and so. Um, that's part of the fun of doing these 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 roundtables. Is I come away feeling like these firms have really learned, you know, over the past several years how to improve. There's always room for improvement, right? Mm -hmm. But they're, yeah. they're doing they're doing much better at thinking in a sophisticated way about how to be an attractive place of employment. Yeah. And a lot of time back in the '90s, I don't know that people put as much thought into it. No. And, and, you know, it, it's funny, like we always tell people nowadays, I mean, you're not doing anyone a favor by, by taking, by talking to them about an opportunity at your firm. I mean, you have to, you have to basically put your, your sales hat on. You know, I always, I liken it to Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, you know, uh, always be closing. You always have to be on your game when it comes to talking about your organization, why people should come work there, why your firm versus another firm. Exactly. And, and you, and you have to be thinking that way. The minute that you posture yourself, um, to act as if, and I, and I, you know, we get this from clients from time to time where they're like, well, why does this person want to make a move? Well, they don't want to make a move. That's, that's, you know, we're, we're, you and I both recruit people that are not actively looking. The key word is they're not looking. So when you talk to anyone that's not looking, it's kind of like if a, if I walk onto the, 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 the showroom floor of a car dealership, if I'm not looking for a car, you know, you've got to sell me, you've got to sell me on why I need to buy this car, why I need to go fill out a credit report and go, you know, take some money out of the bank or write a check for a down payment on a particular car. You've got to sell me on, on that. I'm not, I'm not there to sell you on why you should sell me a car. Um, so the, you know, the idea is that firms need to understand that and, 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 and take a different approach to how they talk to candidates, even those that are looking or that send a resume in, because nowadays candidates have a lot of options. They have a ton of options. It's true. And this is actually something that I think is also improving, that people are starting to understand this more and more. But when I take on a search, that's one of the first things I talk with my client about is, is their ability to put their mind in that place and not 
have that kind of old school feeling that, you know, everybody's lucky to be considered right, and, right. you know, that they're, the minute you um, decide to go search for somebody, there's going to be a line of people at the door because you think you're great. I mean, right. you are great, but I think, I think, I think people have learned a lot in the last few years and, and have gotten a lot better about that attitude. Yeah, yeah. There's a, there's a grace to it, you know, a gracefulness to, to thinking I need to put my best foot forward just as the, the candidate does. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I, again, it's, it, it, you, you, you're right. There are firms that are getting better. There are some firms that I've seen that have regressed, but overall, I think people are, people are figuring that out and, and, and making their place uh, a much more inviting uh, atmosphere uh, for potential for potential candidates that may end up joining them. So, yeah, that's a mindset, and it's also a culture that a tone is set by leadership. Mm-hmm. That's one mm-hmm. of the things we talked about at the recent roundtable. That that it's very important to have a principal or a practitioner in the firm that's in a leadership role talk a lot about recruitment and make it known that it's a value and that it's an expectation. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. And, you know, every single firm at the last roundtable, and there were, I think there were about 12 firms represented, um, was utilizing the um, employee referral bonus program, where if if one of their employees referred somebody and that person was hired, they were paid a bonus mm-hmm. uh, fee for that. Yeah. And the range in that fee was from anywhere from 500 to one firm was paying 10000 for senior positions. So if you referred someone for a senior role and they were hired as a senior manager, I mean, that's that's a lot of money. It is a and lot of money. It's a very good motivation. So um, I don't know if I felt like if that was as common back in the 90s. Again, I'm, I'm drawing these distinctions because I think it's important to note that, that the level of sophistication has gone up. Yeah. But that's one of the things that these people um, are finding or that the, the people ha- are finding works is paying referrals um, bonus fees to their employees. Yeah. No, I know. We, we, we actually, we were working with a firm that um, uh, the, 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 the hiring manager told us that he had to slow one of his guys down because he had referred six people to the firm. In a year, to the, right? To the, yeah, in a year to the tune of $3,000 a pop. This guy had made an extra 18K hi, uh, referring some of his friends. And I think it's important to, to understand that, you know, I, I always tell people, the best people to talk about your firm are the people that work there because right. they know your firm and they know why they, and 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 you want to encourage them. With that said, you know, I know Mark Zweig has never been a huge fan of of employee referral bonuses and things of that nature and there's always going to be a couple of different schools of thought about that. Some people don't like it from the simple fact that well, if you, if you have somebody refer a friend and then the firm doesn't hire them, does that then uh ostracize or um, tell that current employee that they're not important, that that you don't value their their thought about their their friend or whatever. And I don't think that that certainly is the case. But you 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 in Mark's idea in Mark's mind, you 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 run the risk of alienating existing employees if you don't take on one of the people that they refer to the firm. And so it can go both ways. And I mean, there are arguments for and against it. Like I said, that gentleman that got six referrals in a year and that company that hired all those individuals, I'm sure they're not complaining because we all know how tight the market is right now for in the design industry. So, you know, I think if you can find people 
make it work, come up with a plan that makes sense for your organization. And also, if there are situations where somebody, a, a valued member of your team refers somebody to you that you don't end up hiring, explain to them why you exactly. don't hire them. That's and then what just, I was going to say. And then just go from there. So Yeah, it's fixed with good communication. Absolutely. I always say manage people's expectations. So. And I think uh, Mark has also said before that there there is a feeling that you know that people should be doing that anyway, right. and they should be getting paid for it. But I think that that's just an extra motivation. Yeah. And yeah. Um, I don't know. I'm just that's I'm just repeating what I see in the marketplace that people utilize this program and that it's working. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Well, so so tell me, I mean, given that you know you're in, I mean, I always like in the Bay Area, and I mean, again, Zweig has had a presence in the Bay Area for many years now, but um, you know, there's always some unique stuff going on in the design industry out out, and especially in Northern California. I mean, of course, LA too. So those of you that are in uh, Southern California, please don't send me hate mail. But I mean, the Bay Area has is kind of unique. In the in the in the work that's coming out of there, and there's some there's some actually fabulous firms that are domiciled uh, out of San Francisco specifically. So, I mean, is anything you're seeing happening lately um, that's that's of interest to you uh, from uh, you know in the recruiting space at all? Um, did you mean design? Yeah, for sure. I'm not sure I understand the question, but the Transbay Terminal is the coolest thing going on right now. Okay, okay. Is that what you meant? Like, well, yeah. I mean, I kind of meant from from design, but also just from an overall recruiting I- issue or aspect of of how how these design firms are recruiting people. And is there are they are they you know you guys in Northern California are always doing things in a cutting edge way. And I didn't know if you had heard about anything that some of these firms are doing locally in your area to. Um, you know, to circumvent the challenge of finding really good people. You know what I hear a lot of people saying, and this isn't going to sound new or trendy because it's not, it's just a really solid way is to um, locate the schools that, that, that generate the the best potential staff and students and then Mm -hmm. grow your own people. And so they have upped their, um, a lot of the firms that I've talked with have, have really increased their presence on campus with firms that they value okay. um, and put a, a fair amount of effort into hiring really good people right out of school and then growing them okay. and then doing, you know, doing the best that they can to retain them. Yeah. Uh, and uh, another, you know, sort of creative, well, a client of ours was doing, um, well, they were paying student loans mm. to that was a way to defer costs for their hires. And I think it's a tax free way to provide some income to 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 staff. Um, you mean for but, student loan repayment? Yeah. Yeah. There's something about that that's actually valuable to both sides. Yeah. But it, it's a form of income to the to the to, to the new hire. Um, and it's it's a creative way to you know, pay somebody a little more and not have it be in their base salary. Yeah, it's it's and it's 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 becoming a retention tool. And there are several organizations out there, like Gratify, based outside of uh, in the suburbs of Boston, that are that are actually helping firms to implement this type of incentivization of you know, hey, you come work with us. You know, we'll 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 pay X amount of of your student loans over the course of five years. Now, granted, they don't give it all to you in one fell swoop. But if somebody were to tell me if I came out of school with fifty thousand dollars with student loans, and I'm an architect, and some some architectural firm said, "Look, we'll pay 
five grand a year over the next five years. Well, that's 25K of my $50,000 student loan debt that goes away. The average college student that comes out of school comes out of school with about $35,000 in student loan debt. That's just the, that's just the average. It doesn't matter what, what degree you, 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 uh, you receive. Mm-hmm. So I think it's important to understand that that there are some ways to do that. And, and certainly I have encouraged some firms to consider that um, way in terms of creating a retention tool and also an extra carrot to get somebody to come maybe work at your firm versus another firm that either doesn't want to institute that kind of program or, or maybe not be in a position financially to do it. Well, then then if you're able to do it, it gives you a leg up. Um, Price Waterhouse is doing it now 100% across the board. You come to work at Price Waterhouse, it's my understanding that the, I don't know if they're using Gratify or another firm to implement this program, but there are a lot of creative ways to do it. And to get back to what you were saying about the tax is implications, um, the way that it, the way that the tax code is written right now, there is a tax payment that has to be made by the, uh, the, the by the employee. But there is soon to be a law that will be passed in the House and in the Senate that will allow um, firms to to pay that without. Um, putting a tax burden on the employee, if that makes sense. So, mm-hmm. so it's they're they're working on a number of different ways to to make this more palatable because it is a benefit and it does two things. One, um, it creates goodwill and starts to build retention, and it also helps you know a, a portion of students you know start to deal with their student loan debt, which is usually the biggest amount of debt that most kids have when they come out of school. So, you know. I think it's that's amazing. True. Yeah, I that's think it's true. Amazing. So, well, that's good. But um, so, so what else? Uh, is there anything else that you can think of that you're you're kind of seeing? And and I mean, again, I know you you work with some pretty unique firms, and and uh, and you you always have great stories to tell me about the candidates that you run across. Uh, but I was just curious to see what you think is going to happen over the next six to twelve months in the design space as it pertains to recruitment and retention. And uh, if there's anything else that we should be looking out for. Well, two things. One, I think people are going to get more serious about planning um, because it's 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 a topic of conversation. Um, I think it's being discussed more and there's there's more of an understanding that it requires a real commitment and a plan, um, a recruitment plan. And it will involve people that are practitioners, not just an HR function. It's actually going to be something that... that um, you know, the architects and the engineers um, and the leaders and the managers get involved with mm-hmm. firsthand um, and learn that it's a selling role. Right. Um, so I think that there's just going to be um, more of a commitment to the plan of recruitment and how we as a firm need to address this and hold people accountable in the firm for bringing in ideas, bringing in um, connections to people um, and making them responsible and part of the plan. And then the second thing is, you know, like I said, this this sort of gig economy approach to the temporary, um, I don't know if temporary is the right word, but the the um, contract contract uh, employees contract employees mm-hmm. for that that's probably going to become more and more um, common. Yeah, it's it, look. Listen, um, I told somebody this story the other day. But um, and I didn't even ask him. Um, but my Uber driver in Charlotte the other day, when I went to go visit a client that was taking me back to the airport, 
casually just mentioned to me that, yeah, because I, I said, well, how long have you been driving Uber? And he was like, oh, this is my I, this is my first year. Uh, 2016 was my first year. And and then he casually just mentioned to me that, yeah, I was doing this part time and I made thirty one thousand dollars driving Uber part time. I mean, when people people just for context, I mean, Uber didn't exist in 2011, 2012. You know, I mean, it's just taken off in the last few years and now it's all over the place and and you've got people that are making full-blown salaries just driving people around i mean just the other night i had somebody pick me up from the airport and drive me 30 minutes and he was telling me how he does it and he said on some nights i can make 800 bucks i mean that's a lot of money for some people and um you know it's just uh it's it's just amazing that the economy has changed that much and i say all that to say that you know, is there ever going to be a day where uh, if I'm running a design firm that I'm literally going to get on an app like Uber and, you know, order up a, a, a project manager to come work on a project for eight months that has a background in healthcare? I don't know. But I, I would if, if I was a betting man that I would say, yeah, in the next three to five years, you're going to see something along those lines where you're going to be able to hire people in the design industry are going to be able to hire experts are going to be able to hire the the core individuals that you would need to undertake a successful project and then bring them on for a period of time to get that project done and then you know say goodbye to them afterwards and then you know when the time comes to do it again you can either call on those people or maybe somebody else that might be available at that time to do that i think people want that flexibility i know the millennials love the idea of you know some time on for work and then some time off to do other things for play and so I think it's going to be interesting to see what happens, but I, I like you, am in agreement that this gig economy, it's going to be it's going to be very interesting to see what happens in the next few years. So it is. I'm really curious about it because we're a client focused service industry, yeah. and we provide service to client, which is very relationship based, very people oriented, and so. You know, when we talk about this, it's hard for me to picture that because there are teams and face-to-face -face meetings and things that that um, it's hard to imagine. But I think that you're right. I think that it's gonna it's gonna have to change in some way mm -hmm. for people to be able to meet the needs that they have for um, hiring and recruiting. I just, you know, if the, if people aren't there and we don't have the numbers and we don't have the the uh, access to talented people, you know everybody's going to have to get creative. And that, I think that's a pretty good uh, creative way to meet some needs, maybe not all. Yeah. 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 I still think there's, there's going to be a need to hire people full time all, all the time, but then, you know, there are going to be certain projects where you're just you're not able, just like you said, those five to 10 year people just don't exist. The few that are out there, you know, that, well, obviously they're going to, they're going to mature in age. So you'll, that, that gap that we see it's in, gonna is going to yeah. move, but it'll yeah. still be there. Cause it's going to be like, I need the 15 to 20 year person. And you're like, Oh my God, five <laughs> years from now, we're going to be like, well, that person doesn't exist. And so, you know, that's the challenge that you find. So that's right. Um, so yeah, I think it's going to be really interesting. I really, I really, really do. And so um, that's, that's, that's exciting stuff. I, I, you know, I'm excited to finally have you on to do this podcast. Cause this was, this was the kind of conversation I knew we would be able to have. And with all of your experience and knowledge and, and just what you've seen in the industry, I think it's good for people to hear your perspective on things and, and, and what's going to happen and what has happened. So, um, that's awesome, Chris. I'm so glad you decided to join us today. I really appreciate that. Listen, we're, we are doing something new here on the TZL interview series and, um, we want to go deeper for our audience and learn who the real 
Chris Catton is, or Uh-oh. as Uh-oh. I like, as I like to call you, Catterific. <laughs> but, but, uh, but, but we have a couple of simple questions that we'll end our interview with, and hopefully we'll uh, have some fun in the process. Are you ready? Yeah. Okay. I am. All right. What was the last book that you read? And I know you, I know you read voraciously. Uh, you tell me all the time you read more than you watch TV, which I think could be a lie, but I don't know. So No, it's true. It's, it's true. true. <laughs> Watching TV puts me to sleep for some reason. But um, <laughs> unless it's, uh, well, I've got a couple of favorites. But anyway, the last book, I read books all at the same time. So I oftentimes have several going at once, which is uh-huh. sort of confusing. But um, the last one I actually finished was called The Boys in the Boat. Uh, by Daniel Brown, um, because my daughter, uh, my oldest daughter, 17-year-old, was racing crew for the Maroon Maroon crew team. And this book is about the formation of crew as a sport in the United States, and um, it's really well written. So that's the answer to your question. Okay, cool, cool. Boys in the Boat. Boys in the boats. Okay. Great book. All right. Cool. We'll have to check that out. We will. Uh, we'll, we'll put a link to all this good stuff in our show notes. We want. We want to make sure that everybody has information about that. Uh, where did you go on your last vacation? I went to the Oregon coast. Okay. Which right. was very interesting because we had a major snowstorm and I got snowed in <laughs> for an extra two days. Wow. Wow. I'm, I'm from Portland, so I, I have family there. All right. So Port. So when you watch Portlandia, do you does that does that resonate with you? Yes, that's the show I was gonna. Yeah, I was gonna say when I I uh, fall asleep when I watch TV unless it's Portlandia. Uh, I watched that show. It's so good. So it's do you, really real. Yeah, it is. So that when you watch it, do you see places like, like I know that place or I know. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's cool. A that's lot of it is cool. filmed in Northeast Portland, which is um, actually where I stay when I go because um, I stay with um, family there. Okay. And um, it, they've really pegged the town of Portland. Wow. Wow. In that show. They've got it. They've oh, got it down. That's anyway. awesome. Well, my my next question was, if you could binge watch one TV <laughs> series, old or new, what would it be? But I think I know the answer to that. It it's, would either be Portlandia or what? The Brady Bunch? I don't know. It's Portlandia. It is Portlandia. Okay. Yeah, All right. Yeah, yeah. So there we go. Well, there you have it, folks. That A little... A little glimpse into the life of Chris Catton. Chris, I want to thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to be with us on the Zweig Letter interview series. We really, really appreciate it. Well, thank you, Randy. Yeah. It was fun. Cool. Well, listen, folks, as a reminder, all Zweig Group Media programs like this one are available in both podcast and in most cases, video format, free for download on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and YouTube, just to name a few places. We'd like to thank you for watching this in video or listening to the podcast by offering you a free copy of the Zweig Letter. Just visit freetzl.zweiggroup.com and a link to all of this information will be in our show notes. So you'll be able to download that to your heart's content. And we would love it if you share this link with a friend. And also, if you're listening to this on iTunes, We'd love a five-star rating. If you, if you really feel like this podcast really meets your need, we'd love, a, we'd love a, a generous rating from you. And if you have any feedback whatsoever, because we're constantly trying to improve, please share that information with us. Uh, I'm Randy Wilburn, and you've been listening to Zwei Group Media, part of Zwei Group. Remember, we exist to make you more successful. Bye for now. Thanks for tuning in to this special edition Zweig Letter podcast. 
We hope that you can apply Mark's no-holds-barred advice to your daily professional life. For a free six-week subscription of the Zweig Letter, please visit freetzl.zweiggroup.com to gain more wisdom and inspiration, in addition to information about leadership, finance, HR, and marketing your firm. Subscribe today. Thank you.